0: The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. I have been waiting six months to share this message, so David is right. Pew, 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 get ready. Uh, Six months, this message God has been stirring in my heart, and I'm so excited to share it. Every year, the elders give Josh and I a four-week sabbatical. We take four weeks off in a row where we completely disconnect from all things church, from message writing, from email, from Slack. Our staff doesn't text us or message us unless it's something, you know, personal or friendly or it's an emergency. But work stuff they don't bother us with. We uh, get off social media completely. We just kind of fall off the face of the earth for four weeks, and it's awesome. (laughs) We love it. And uh, we are intentional to connect with God every day. We're also intentional to Sabbath every week, but I'm telling you there is something about four weeks off in a row like that where we really slow down the pace of our lives and in doing so we catch up to God in the most transformational kind of way. Like we don't even really understand or see all that's happening until a couple months after sabbatical's over, but it's like we give him this big unformed blob of clay We put it in his hand, the potter, and he takes it and he forms something beautiful. And I can look back now. We've had two sabbaticals over the last six years. And I can look to these pieces that he's formed with this agenda four weeks, with this unformed pile of clay. I can look back and say, that's what he formed in me during that sabbatical, that landmark piece of pottery. That's what he did in 2020. And that's what he did in 2021. So tonight I'm sharing with you what he did in me in 2021 during that sabbatical. Also, so you can know next time that we go on sabbatical, you should get really excited because God is doing something in your pastors as we rest. So I believe that this word is from heaven. I believe that it is for you. I believe it's prophetic in nature, meaning like it's a right now word. I believe that God is calling us deeper tonight, which is not a surprise because God is always calling us deeper Because we tend to sip where we could drink deeply, and we tend to drink deeply where we could wade in, and we tend to wade in where we could dive in, where we can plunge in and swim. Tonight, God is calling you to plunge in and to swim in the deep end. He's got some things in the deep end for you tonight. Are you ready? Are you ready? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this night. We are expectant, God. We want to hear from you. We want to meet with you, God. We want to leave here differently than we came in. I pray that this would be a word that marks people's lives forever, that tonight is the start of something amazing, something transformational that you want to do in our lives. We say we are here for this. We give you our full attention. We set aside any distractions. We turn off all notifications. We focus in on you, giving you our full attention and devotion because you are oh so worthy of it, Lord. You are worthy of our attention tonight. We're here for you. We ask you to speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Okay, so shortly after sabbatical, Josh and I went on a calendar date. Not the most romantic kind of date, but a crucial date. We get together with our planners, and we sync everything up. We add in the who we want to become stuff. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Pastor Josh has a great message on that. We add in the who we want to become stuff, and then we add in the stuff we got to get done And uh, this particular night, I don't know why we were very ambitious, but we decided to go all the way to the end of 2021. We were tired. We probably shouldn't have. We were kind of getting on each other's nerves at that point. But 2022 was right there. Like you just turn the page and it was right there. And so I begin to ask the question, where do you think that God is leading his church in 2022? Because not our church, you know, it's his church. So where do you think God's leading the church in 2022? So we started to talk. What do you think God is calling us to rally his people around? And that night, in the parking lot of Target over by Quail Springs, God began to pour out. We began to pour out. Everything that he had formed during sabbatical Begin to pour out. The vision for where he was taking our church in this new year. Now, this is going to come as a surprise to you, but the rallying point, the thing that he kept drawing us back to was Jesus. Yeah. Shocker, right? And God would want to rally his church around the hope for all mankind around Jesus. And maybe you're thinking, well, aren't we already rallied around Jesus? Like, this is a Jesus over everything church, Jesus at the center of it all, Jesus is the guest of honor here. Like, we hang our hats on the fact that Jesus is not just our Savior, but he's also our Lord. So, so what does this mean for us? Well, one of the things that we kept talking about is, why does it seem like so many Christians, so many churchgoers, people who say they love Jesus and attend Jesus-loving churches, Why does it seem that their lives aren't all that different from the world around us? Why do Christian people continually find themselves in cycles of sin, just managing their sin? Why why is it that good, Jesus-loving people find themselves stagnant, stuck, passionless about their walk with God, lacking zeal, drifting... Like doing really good during 21 days, and then it's a slow decline for the rest of the year. And then they do really good at the beginning of the year during 21 days, and then it's a slow, like this constant drift resulting in little change. Why do we see so many people who love Jesus and attend Jesus-loving churches lukewarm? Why do we so often see people who are doing so great in every area that can be measured by church metric software, but their their lives are not being transformed into the image of Jesus? Like if you go to their profile on the church software, you see tons of activity, but little transformation in their lives. Let's take Sally, for instance. Sally rededicated her life. To Jesus three years ago. Awesome. She got baptized again. Terrific. She got filled with the Spirit, and she even has a prayer language. Awesome. She decided to go through our Next Steps class. Hooray. She's a member. She went through Planted, did the membership covenant in front of the whole church. Fantastic. She is on a serve team. She's serving every other week. She attends small group. Her activity, her profile, everything looks great according to the church metric software. But if you were to ask Sally, she would tell you that she's frustrated. Because over the last three years, her marriage has not really changed that much. It was rough then, and it's rough now. She still deals with overwhelming anxiety, with fear, with stress, with worry. She's not looking more and more like Jesus. She's doing all the things, but where's the transformation? Why doesn't she uh, go from glory to glory like scripture says that we should do? What's going on with her? And so many people like her engaged in church, but lacking true transformation. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 3 tonight. If you've got your Bibles, 2 Corinthians 3. And uh, before we get into this verse, which if you've read your introduction letter to your Being Transformed journal, then this verse is going to be familiar to you. But before we read the verse together, I want to set it up for you a little bit. Somebody say, set it, up. set it up. Set it up. Okay, so Moses, you guys know Moses, right? He goes up to Mount Sinai. The Lord invites him up there. God, the creator of the universe, invites him up there, and they converse and talk about the terms and the conditions of this New, which now it's the Old Covenant, and he gives Moses uh, the rundown on animal sacrifices and how there's going to have to be a blood that is spilled not just once, but over and over and over again to cover up our sin, to cover up the children of Israel's sin so they could be in right relationship with God. He gives them the law. He gives them the Ten Commandments. He talks about external regulations and how this is how they're going to be made right with God. And then Moses, with all the new or the old covenant uh, information in hand, he makes his way down Mount Sinai. And he is not aware, but his face is glowing. It is shining. It says in the Bible that it's radiant with glory. And he's not aware of this. He comes downtown and people, or comes down the mountain and people are like, what's going on with Moses' face? And he decides to veil his face, he covers his face with a veil. Now, if you just read the account in Exodus, you assume that he veils his face because he's freaking people out, and it's weird that his face is glowing. But Paul says that is not why he veils his face. Paul says that Moses veiled his face because he wanted to hide the diminishing glory. He wanted to hide that the glory was fading away. You know the clothing brand faded glory at Walmart? I think Moses kind of trademarked that. He had this piece of clothing that was hiding the faded glory, the fading glory. It was uh, growing dimmer. Paul says, he put a veil over his face so the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. It's like a new car. As soon as you drive away, it begins to lose value. This covenant, this old covenant, had already begun to diminish, to pass away. And Moses veiled his face to cover that. And it was diminishing, and it was passing away because there was a new and better covenant that was coming. A new and better covenant that through Jesus, through his lowly birth, through his perfect life, through his sacrificial death, through his glorious resurrection, that you and I I would be made right with God, once and for all, his perfect sacrifice, this new and better covenant purchased through the blood of Jesus that we're all welcomed into. So, the Israelites were dealing with the old covenant passing away. Moses is veiling that. Okay, now look at this in 2 Corinthians 3:16 through 18. It says when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, beholding Jesus, beholding the new covenant that will never diminish, that will never pass away, the everlasting covenant, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same Image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So what happens is us in this new covenant, when we turn to God, here, when we turn to Jesus, God removes our veil, and our faces should shine with glory, a glory that not only does not diminish, but a glory that goes brighter and brighter and brighter as we transform gradually from one degree of glory to the next into the image of Jesus. So what does this have to do with Sally and so many like her and her lack of true transformation? I want you to look at it with me again. It says, and we all... With unveiled face, beholding, that's the key, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the image of Jesus. So get this, Moses veiled his face so the children of Israel could not look steadily at what was passing away. God has unveiled our face so we can look steadily at what will never pass away, at Jesus. He unveiled our face so that we could behold Jesus and everything made available to us through this new and better and perfect and everlasting covenant. He's unveiled your face so that you can behold Jesus. Now this word behold here is more than to make a casual look at or to take a casual look at. Behold here means to make a careful study. To make a careful study. We see that if we want transformation, we have to carefully study. We have to behold. We have to look steadily upon Jesus. So here's what's going on with Sally. She is unveiled, yet she is unbeholding. She is casually looking at Jesus, not beholding him. She is not making a careful study of Jesus. So what happens is she stays stuck in her cocoon instead of metamorphosizing, instead of being transformed into the image of Jesus. She doesn't look all that different than she did three years ago, even though she's doing all this activity, because she's not beholding the glory of the Lord. She's not looking steadily. She's not making a careful study of Jesus She's not studying him in a manner that leads to being transformed. So why is it? Why is it that beholding Jesus doesn't seem to be of utmost importance to a lot of people? What's the hang-up there? I'm discovering that six years, or I'm discovering that after six years of being a pastor, it's because a lot of people see Jesus as Lord and Savior, but a lot of people do not see Jesus as the master of human life. They don't see Jesus as the master of human life. They don't think that he has a lot to teach them about how to live their everyday life right here and right now. They're thankful for the cross. They're trying their best not to sin. They're excited about going to heaven, but does Jesus really have that much to do with their right here and right now life? If we don't see Jesus as the master of human life, the leading and the only expert on how we as followers of Jesus are to live our lives, that's concerning to me because who are we taking our cues from if it's not jesus then who is it dallas willard writes very few people today find jesus interesting as a person or of vital relevance to the course of their actual lives do you find jesus interesting do you really believe that jesus is the most relevant person he, he is the most relevant person to your everyday life. Not to just this, but your 9 to 5, your sexuality, your marriage, your budget, your parenting, your sleeping, your resting, your celebrating, your eating, your living. He is the most relevant, the most important to your everyday life. But if you don't think of Jesus like that, as a real life personality who deals with real life issues masterfully, then you're not going to spend a lot of time beholding him. Here's what happens. You will settle for a couple of practical points each week. You will apply those points, and they'll work for a while, and then you will slowly drift back, and you'll see little transformation. I think one of the greatest tactics of Satan is convincing goodish church-going people that 45 minutes to an hour every week in church— sitting under a great pastor, 45 minutes if you're lucky, 30 minutes at a lot of churches, that that's enough to help you be a fully formed follower of Jesus. Wow. Let me just let you in on something. One hour a week out of 168 hours a week, that is not beholding Jesus. That's not making a careful study of Jesus. You want to see what one hour a week looks like? I like visuals, so I made this little chart this week. Okay, I don't know if you can see that. Okay, you see that tiny little blue sliver? It's tiny. This chart represents 168 hours a week. That little tiny blue sliver is if you spend one hour a week at church, that's how much time you're spending beholding God. Okay, you can look at the other areas. This is based on statistics I found on, on uh, Google. 16 hours a week on social media beholding God. Videos, reels, TikTok, whatever people do, I don't know. Netflix, twenty-one hours a week on Netflix. Forty hours a week working, three hours a week if you're are an adult reading your Bible, quiet time every day, about you average about three hours a week. That's the other one right there, that other little tiny blue one. Sleeping, 47 hours a week and then everything else, 168 hours a week. And we think that one hour a week at church and maybe five to 20 minutes a day is enough to make a careful study of Jesus. Dallas Willard writes, we need to return to the idea that we have to put thought into God's kingdom and how it works. We accept that someone spends years becoming a dentist or even more years training to become a surgeon, but we don't accept that we need to spend years giving serious thought to the nature of the soul, the nature of God, who Jesus was, and how it all works. In early periods of the church, it was assumed you would devote your whole life to understanding the fullness and complexity of God's kingdom. Yet this rarely happens in churches today. Understanding anything important requires major effort. Understanding Jesus' teaching is more important than learning algebra. Can I get an amen? Amen. (laughs) Which takes a great deal of effort. Oh, I'm so glad I'm done with school. Yet most Christians have never put the same amount of effort into understanding Jesus' teaching that they've put into solving algebraic equations. New Song Church, we have to get back to beholding Jesus. What a shame, like, heartbreaking that we have an unveiled face, but a disinterest in beholding Jesus, the only one who can show us and teach us how to live our lives right here and now in his kingdom and for all of eternity. Transformation is in the eye of the beholder of Jesus, the eye of the beholder of Jesus, the careful studier of Jesus, those who devote their lives to looking intently at the life of Jesus, his teachings, his habits, his disciplines, his actions, and then deciding that they are going to routinely do everything that Jesus said was best. Transformation. Glory to glory living is for those who will commit to practicing the way of Jesus. Alas, we arrive at our rally point, practicing the way of Jesus. And I want you to hear me, church. Like, hear me. This is not just a saying that we slapped on the back of a cool shirt This is who we want you to become. This is what kind of church that we long to have. A people who will practice the way of Jesus. A people who routinely do what Jesus said was best. A people who not only have faith in Jesus, but have the faith of Jesus. I don't just believe in Jesus, but I actually believe what Jesus believed. I believe what Jesus believed. That's where we're going. A people who behold Jesus and learn how to live their life as he would live it if he were them. A people who are being transformed into the image of Jesus. A people who will not sip when there is a pool to plunge into. Jesus closes his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount which is a concise guide to life in the kingdom. He closes it with this. You may recognize this. We just sang our hearts out to this. It says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock, The rains came, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because because it had its foundation on the rock. You can sing it all day. You can sing it all day. But this is only for people who hear his words and put them into practice. Not everyone who hears these words and can quote them Not everyone who hears these words and agrees with them. Not everyone who hears these words and can use them to answer a question at small group correctly. Not everyone who hears these words and can write an Instagram post about it or write a whole book about it. Those who hear my words and put them into practice. are like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. Everyone who beholds the life of Jesus in scripture, his teaching, his life, and regularly puts it into practice. Everything that he said and everything that he modeled will have an unshakable foundation. When the rain falls, not if, when it falls and when the waters rise and when, when the wind beats and blows against your life, if you are a person committed to practicing the way of Jesus, Come on. your life will not fall. So tonight, I want to give you an outline for how to practice the way of Jesus, practicing the way of Jesus. Now, this is not something that you just try out for like 21 days. This is not something that you do for a couple of weeks. This isn't even something you do for a couple of years. Uh, This is a lifelong commitment. This outline should last you a lifetime. And I'm just giving you like the brass tacks here, like the bare bones here. There's more. I want you to research and dig and study for yourselves. But I want to give you an outline for practicing the way of Jesus. This is a lifelong commitment that we're talking about, and it demands a decision. So let's talk about it tonight. How do we practice the way of Jesus? Three things. The first thing is we enjoy being with Jesus. We got to enjoy being with Jesus. King David writes in Psalm 27:4, the one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting, enjoying the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. This is the prayer of somebody who thoroughly enjoys being with Jesus. The one thing I ask, the thing I seek above all else is that I could live in the presence of God, delighting in the presence of God. The thing I ask, the thing I seek most is that my life would be about enjoying the Lord. This is the prayer of David. Is it your prayer? David here isn't praying Uh, that he could go live away from everyone and everything and like sit in the literal temple all day long and think about Jesus, David knew that God had a plan for him, that he needed to be out, that he needed to be leading his people. So he wasn't saying, Lord, I just want to get away from everything and everyone and just sit in your presence all day long. What he was saying is, God, even when I'm going through everyday responsibilities and tasks that you've called me to, I want to have an unbroken awareness of your presence. I want to be aware of you every day, delighting in your perfections. How aware of God's presence are you throughout your day-to-day, throughout your moment-to-moment? I read this quote last year at Love His, but it bears repeating. It says, I believe, this is Greg Boyd, he says, I believe the most prevalent and tragic misunderstanding that afflicts contemporary Western Christianity is that we make a vow to submit our life to Christ, but then spend 99% of our time excluding him from our awareness. We make him Lord over our life in theory, but we do not make him Lord over most of the moments that make up our life. The fact is, if we can't discern God's presence in our day-to-day lives, it's unlikely that we'll find him at a revival or blocks conference. We may find a lot of excitement, great speakers, superb music, and maybe even see signs and wonders. But unless a person learns to find God as much in the ordinary as in the exciting, the exciting will do nothing than serve as a momentary distraction. I don't want tonight to be a momentary distraction from, for you and then you have to get back to your regular crappy life. I don't want this to be a momentary distraction. I want you to enjoy being with Jesus, to be constantly aware of his presence. Enjoying the presence of God is not a Sunday thing, and it's not a 30 minutes in the morning quiet time thing. It's a making and deciding that every moment is going to be filled with him, that every moment can be holy if we will just choose to be aware of him and invite him into our days. So, what if this was the one thing that you asked for during the 21 days of prayer and fasting? What if this was your number one seek? God, I want to be aware of your presence. I want to enjoy you all day, every day. I want to enjoy you tomorrow on my way to work as much as I enjoyed you tonight in worship. I want to enjoy you while I'm cleaning the house as much as I enjoy you when I sit down and have my quiet time. I want to enjoy you as much uh, when I'm watching the sunset as I enjoy you when I'm in my small group or when I'm in uh, prayer time. I want to be aware of you. What if you made this your number one seek, your number one ask over the next 21 days? And maybe you're thinking, well, I can't do that, Sarah, because I have bigger fish to fry. Like, you don't know. Like, I got kids away from God, and I need a new job, and I'm going through a health crisis. So you guys can all make that your number one ask, but I got bigger fish to fry. Let me just tell you, David, the one that wrote this, he had some stuff going on in his life that we would put into that bigger fish to fry category. He says, right before he writes this, he says, the wicked are coming against me. The wicked are eating up my flesh. That's what David's dealing with, big fish to fry. But yet he says, he he doesn't say, the one thing I want is for you to get rid of my enemies. The one thing I want is for you to take care of my problem. The one thing I want is more troops, more influence, more power, more money. No, he says, the one thing I want, the thing I seek most is to dwell in your presence, to live in your presence, to be constantly aware of your presence, to enjoy being with you. So how do we enjoy being with Jesus? This sounds crazy and impossible. And it is crazy and impossible. you got to practice. you got to practice the presence of God. In fact, there's a book, I read it last year, by Brother Lawrence, called Practicing the Presence of God. And it was written almost 400 years ago by this Carmelite monk who was a cook in a monastery in Paris. And it's all about how he keeps his mind stayed on God. And maybe I lost you at Monk. You're like, Sarah, of course this monk can be constantly aware of God because, like, that's what monks do. But I'm not a monk. I am a mom, or I am a middle schooler, or I am a manager. Like, good for Brother Lawrence, but me over here in the real world, like, I can't, I don't know how to be aware of God's presence every day. Okay, before you count Brother Lawrence out, I want you to just listen to how he approached his days, okay? It says, he started his mornings in the presence of God. Get this. This is my favorite part. Determining to walk through the day with an attitude of great devotion. Determining to walk through the entire day with an attitude of great devotion. Not starting the day with a five-minute devotion that somebody else wrote about their precious time with God. Determining to start Every day with an attitude of great devotion. The whole day I'm going to be devoted to you. My devotion, my attention, my affection is going to be on you. How determining are your morning quiet times? What are you determining in that moment as you get up and spend time with God? Maybe you're going, I'm not even getting up and spending time with God. No sweat. Just start tomorrow just start tomorrow. Tomorrow, being transformed journals, they start. We're going to be reading John 1 tomorrow. Get up and start tomorrow. Open up your Bible. Wake up earlier than the kids. If you have kids, get up before the sun comes up if you need to, and you sit down and you enjoy being with Jesus. Unrushed, unhurried. What do you want to say? What do you want to do? I am here for this. I'm telling you, it will change your life. I love my time with Jesus in the morning. I love being with him. I love sitting there on my couch in my little spot. Nobody else is awake. And I'm telling you, many mornings, I can feel the tangible presence of God. I can feel the warmth of his face shining on my face. Him enjoying me. Me enjoying him. If you're not doing this, you're missing out. Enjoy Being with Jesus But that's not where it ends It's not like, okay, I did my 30 minutes So I'm good Brother Lawrence would determine That uh, God was going to be the target To which everything would point the entire day This is my aim God is my goal So we'd spend time in prayer And then he had to get to work He had a job Monks have jobs He had to cook stuff for the other monks And he had to clean the toilets for the other monks If they had toilets back then, I don't know Uh, So he had stuff to do but he would purposely and intentionally go through his day, look at the tasks that were coming up, and invite God into every task. Be with me. I want my mind to be on you. And when he would notice that he hadn't thought of God in a while, that he was excluding God from his awareness, he would just be like, you know what? I'm not very good at this. I'm going to give up. No, he would practice. He would say, okay, I haven't, I've been excluding God, but I'm going to... Bring him back to my awareness, and I'm going to think about him, and I'm going to enjoy him. Enjoying Jesus became his normal state of mind. This is my prayer for you this year, new song, that you would have your unrushed, unhurried time with the Lord every single morning, but that you'd also realize that with God in your life, every moment can be holy, every moment holy. I came across a book a couple of months ago with this title, Every Moment Holy, and it's become a staple at our house. I love this little book. It is filled with liturgies or written prayers that are designed to help you take regular, everyday moments when you are typically not thinking about God, He is not on your radar, and inviting Him into those moments through these prayers. There is a liturgy for everything. (laughs) It has changed uh, the culture of our home. There's stuff going on, and I'll tell Josh, I bet there's a liturgy for this, and there is. There's a liturgy for the washing of windows. Making that moment holy, the washing of windows, doing laundry. There's one for when you're about to head out on vacation. We prayed this prayer when we were about to leave on vacation, and it was the best vacation we ever had, just the two of us. And God was in every moment. The the sightseeing, the landscape, God was just with us because we decided to make every moment holy. There's one for gardening, for birthdays, for bonfires, for the morning of a yard sale, for decorating the Christmas tree, for feasting with friends. Here's a good one. The unexpected sighting of wildlife. I love it. That's one of my favorite things. Like if there's a deer in the neighborhood, I'm like, ah, I get so excited. But invite God into that moment and celebrate. Enjoy being with Jesus. We love this book. So many moments through our day where normally, like, God's not on our radar, this moment has, make, has helped us to make every moment holy. I want to read you just a, a, a short one. This is um, a liturgy for welcoming a new pet, okay? You're going to get a new pet in the new year? Here we go. Lord and giver of all good things, you created the world and all creatures, each wonderfully unique and endowed with attributes that illuminate the poetries of your mind, your power, your beauty, your loyalty, your sense of humor, your playfulness, and your delight. You also created people, fashioning us in your own image and calling us to live ever after in right relationship with the rest of your creation. With that honor, you've offered us the pleasant responsibility of living as companions and caretakers of our fellow creatures. And so it is with glad hearts that we welcome into our home and lives this animal which you have created. We now bestow upon this pet the name of... Francine Beignet, that's Frankie at our house. But every moment, holy, the regular moments where usually you've excluded God from your thoughts, bring Him in and enjoy being with Him because He enjoys being with you. We enjoy being with Jesus. Second, if we're going to practice the way of Jesus, we apprentice under Jesus. Apprentice under Jesus. Write down this definition if you're taking notes tonight. An apprentice. Or a disciple is someone who has decided to be with another person in order to become capable of doing what that person does or to become what that person is. At the beginning of the school year, we did a total kitchen renovation. Like we gutted everything original to our 1988 kitchen, like tile and cabinets and uh, we did all new electrical wiring, new light fixtures and stuff like that. So we had an, electric, or an electrician come to the house. He's like the last guy that's there. The last finishing touch is the electrician. And when he gets there, he has somebody with him, and he introduces this young man. He's probably like 18 and 19 years old, and he says this is his apprentice. This young man has decided to be with the senior electrician in order to become capable of doing what he does His apprentice followed him around everywhere. Like if he went to the truck, the apprentice went to the truck. If he went to the breaker box, the apprentice went to the breaker box. If he laid on the ground to look at an outlet, the guy was laying on the ground right next to him. If he got out a flashlight, he got out a flashlight. If the senior electrician put on gloves and the apprentice put on gloves, he followed him around every day and he was on his way of becoming capable of being a professional electrician. So we are called to apprentice or disciple under Jesus. So the question is, how do we do this, and what trade is Jesus even in? What does that mean? Okay, well, if you read through the Gospels, you will see that Jesus is the expert on how to live life in the kingdom and how to advance his kingdom on the earth. That's Jesus' business. That's what he was all about, the kingdom, and how we live and act and react and respond to the kingdom that is here and now and how to advance it and bring more of it into the earth. So as a disciple or an apprentice of Jesus, we choose to be with him, learning from him what he is the expert of, how to live life in the kingdom of God. Now, a lot of believers rarely, if ever, are thinking about the kingdom of God. Rarely, if ever, are thinking about their part that they have to play in it. But Jesus talked about the kingdom all of the time. He preached the kingdom, explained what it was like, how we are to act in it, how we live in it, who is blessed in his kingdom. He was always talking about the kingdom. So what do you know about God's kingdom and how you're to live in it right now? If you're like, not much, that's Okay. Jesus is inviting you. Come and follow after me. I'm inviting you. You be my disciple. I'll be your rabbi. You be my apprentice. Or yeah, you be my apprentice. Come and follow me. I'll teach you how to live in my kingdom. I'll teach you the kingdom way of living. I'll teach you my way of life. He's inviting you to do that. Dallas Willard says apprenticeship to Jesus is like this. We're learning from Jesus to live our lives as he would live it if he were us. I'm not necessarily learning to do everything he did, but I am learning how to do everything I do in the manner that he did all that he did. So here's how this works for me. Uh, He's not looking to teach me Hebrew or carpentry. He's not even looking how to teach me how to multiply fish and loaves. He's looking to teach me A 36-year-old white woman living in America, post-enlightenment, post-pandemic, with a church, with three children, married to my husband, co-pastoring a church, he's teaching me how to do everything that he's called me to do in the same manner that he did everything that he did. If you're an electrician by trade, you're asking questions like this. How would Jesus treat this customer? How would Jesus interact with his boss? How would Jesus treat his employees? How would Jesus do his job if he were me? How would Jesus respond to a bad Google review? An apprentice of Jesus is always thinking this. How do I lead my life like Jesus would lead my life if he were me? How would Jesus' social media Well, we don't know because social media didn't exist back then. But you can look at his character and his nature and how he interacted, and you can piece it together. How would Jesus social media? How would Jesus eat? How would Jesus parent? How would Jesus budget? Here's the bottom line. How would Jesus live the life I have been given? Through the time, the place, the family, and the neighbors and talents and opportunities that are uniquely mine. I'm convinced, I really am, that if every self-proclaimed Christian decided that being an apprentice of Jesus is a non-negotiable, like I will learn how to live my life and lead my life as he would lead it if he were me, that we would turn the world upside down or right side up, however you want to look at it. Imagine if every Christian would commit to behold Jesus, to make a careful study of him, to look steadily upon him. I know it's hard to imagine the world, but just imagine your own home. What a difference this would make in your home if you, as mom and dad, as husband and wife, were both committed to routinely doing everything that Jesus said and modeled was best. What would arguments in your home look like? What would screen time, dinner time, calendars, budgets, what would it all look like if everyone in your home were committed to live their life how Jesus said to live our life? Imagine if people... Believed, actually believed, that being apprentice under Jesus is the smartest thing that we could ever do to take care of ourselves, oh, yeah. physically, spiritually, emotionally. Yeah. It's the smartest thing that we could do to take care of ourselves. Yeah. What if we believed that his yoke is actually easy? That his yoke is light? Costly? Yeah. It's gonna cost you some things. You're going to have to lay some things down, but 100% worth it. Yeah. So how do we do this? Obviously, we can't follow Jesus around every day, the physical Jesus, like the electrician and the apprentice at my house. But there's three things that we can start doing. One, we can ask. We can ask Jesus every day to help us see him more fully as he really is. The, the key to the kingdom is asking, seeking, and knocking. This is how we access the kingdom. So Jesus told us to ask, so begin to ask. Reveal yourself to me, Jesus. Help me to see you in the pages of Scripture for who you really are, so I can model my life after yours. Secondly, we live in His Word. John eight, thirty-one through thirty-two. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide or live or dwell, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples or my apprentices. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So we ask Jesus to reveal himself to us, but then we have to live In his word, we have to abide in his word. We have to make his word our home. We have to fill our soul and our minds with the word of God. We have to seek to understand what it means. And then if we really want to get comfortable in it, we have to practice what we study, what we read, what we see. We have to practice the word of God. Let me give you a tip as you start your being transformed journal tomorrow. We're starting in John one live in it. Live in the book of John over the next couple of days. Then we're going to go to Matthew. Then we're going to go to Mark. Then we're going to go to Luke. Live in the word. Make your home in the word. And as you read, do this, okay? Studies show that to truly transform our character, we have to see Christ-like character modeled. We have to see it. We can't just read it. We have to see it. So as you read through the book of John, you're going to have to use your imagination. Okay, for instance, as you're reading about Jesus and, and the storm and when all the disciples are freaking out and Jesus is sleeping and then they wake him up and he's still the calmest guy in the room. Whenever you read that, take a moment, stop, close your eyes and see it. I want you to see it absorb a picture of calm Jesus in your mind. You have to see behavior for it to transfer here, for it to transform you. So this is beholding Jesus, not just reading the Word. This is how we behold Jesus. Use your imagination. Live in the Word. Take time to see it in your mind's eye. Absorb the pictures of Jesus that you're reading about. And number three, you have to decide. If you want to become a lifelong apprentice under Jesus... You have to decide. So we ask, we live in the word, and then we decide. You don't drift into discipleship. You won't drift into being an apprentice. You will not drift to living in the word. It does not happen. You have to make a decision. And this is a decision that you should make and that you should tell somebody I've made a decision. I'm not just a convert. I am an apprentice of Jesus. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I'm going to behold Jesus. I'm going to make a careful study of Jesus. You need to tell somebody about it. So how do you know if you've done this? You should probably know. If you don't know, you probably haven't done it. (laughs) But here's some questions you can ask. Do I really intend to be a lifelong student of Jesus? Do I really intend to do and be all the high things that I say I believe in? Have I decided to do them? When did I decide it? I know when I decided it. Last November, actually, in my bathroom. I know when I decided it. How did I implement that decision? We got to enjoy being with Jesus. We need to apprentice under Jesus. And number three, we need to walk as Jesus walked. 1 John 2.6 says, Those who say they love God should live their lives as Jesus did. Amplified says, whoever says he abides in him ought, as a personal debt, to walk and conduct himself in the same way in which he walked and conducted himself. And at this point, you may be thinking, this isn't for me. Like, I love Jesus, but I'm fine with, like, just getting by and I'll go to heaven. You guys can practice the way of Jesus. I've tried, or I think I've tried and i failed. Like, I can't do this. I don't know if this is possible for me to routinely do everything that Jesus said was best. Maybe you're thinking, I know me, and I know that I could never handle insults like Jesus handled insults. I'll never be able to act under pressure like Jesus acted under pressure. I'll never be able to have the same attitude that Jesus had when he was inconvenienced when I'm inconvenienced. I'll never be able to forgive somebody who hurt me or abandoned me the way that Jesus forgave the disciples who all abandoned him. I'll never be able to sleep through the storm, to be that calm person in the room. I'll never be able to lay hands on somebody and see Jesus heal them. I'll never be able to seek to be rewarded by God instead of by people. I just don't know if I can walk like Jesus walked. This seems too lofty a thing for me to attain. I don't know if Christ-like character could ever be my first response to the world around me. Maybe you're thinking, I don't know me. Like, I have tried, Sarah. I've tried. But by the time i stopped to think wwjd i have already acted and it wasn't christ-like here's my encouragement to you tonight stop trying and start training stop trying and start training you could try to run a marathon tomorrow you could get super motivated it's the first monday of the year I'm going to run a marathon. I'm going to open my door, and I'm going to bundle up, and I'm going to run 26 miles. You could try, but if you haven't been training, you're going to give up, or you're going to die trying. <laughs> you'll give up, or you'll die trying. A lot of Christians try to do what Jesus said was best, but because they don't train regularly, they give up, or they die trying. And that's the hang up with the WWJD bracelet. We can know all day what Jesus would do. We can even desire to want to do what he did. But if we are not training like Jesus trained, then we can't do what he did. It's like wearing a what would Michael Jordan do bracelet and watching all of his footage and apprenticing under him and watching him and reading his bio and knowing every single thing about him but never training like him and expecting to get out on the court and play like he played. When we don't train like Jesus trained, we can't do what Jesus did. So how did Jesus train? Jesus practiced spiritual disciplines. He practiced spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines, what are they? It's a discipline for the spiritual life. It's an activity. It's something that you do. It's an activity undertaken to make us capable of receiving more of God's life and more of God's power. I don't know about you, but if there is an activity that I can undertake that will make me capable of receiving more of God's life, more of a Zoe life, more of God's very life being injected into me, if there is an activity that I can participate in that will make me more capable of receiving more of his power, accessing more of the power, the same power that lives in me that raised Christ from the dead, are you kidding me? If there is activities that I can undertake, Undertake take and participate in to become capable of receiving more of his life and more of his power i am all in i want to practice these disciplines jesus modeled spiritual disciplines for us as he walked the earth we want to walk like he walked right i don't want to just talk the talk i want to walk like he walked we see him practicing solitude Getting away from the hustle and the bustle. Getting away so he could connect with God. Making himself more capable to receive more of God's life and power. He practiced the disciplines of silence, prayer, sacrificial living, intense study and meditation. Serving others. We kind of want to skip over all of that stuff. Get to the cool stuff. We want to do the cool stuff that Jesus did. If we want to do the cool stuff that Jesus did. We have to do what Paul said exercise unto godliness we want to be able to resist satan like jesus resisted satan we want to be able when an image pops up on our phone we don't want to lust after it we don't want to take us down a wrong path so we try in that moment but we fail because we haven't been doing what jesus did jesus could resist satan because he was engaged in intense time of prayer and fasting He had positioned himself where he could receive more of God's life and power. So when the tempter came, he could resist. We want to resist without having to put in the training. If Jesus needed to engage in spiritual disciplines, we need to engage in spiritual disciplines. And this concept of discipline is not something new. It's not something foreign to you. This is something you do every day with regular things. Let me give you a couple of examples. Every night I practice a discipline of setting my alarm. Without setting my alarm, I cannot in my own strength wake up at 6 a.m. I can wake up, but I can't wake up at 6 a.m. So I have to set the alarm to help me do what I could not do, what I would not be capable of doing without that discipline. The same is true for exercise. I have to push play on the exercise video. Without the discipline of exercise, I will not have energy, I will be unhealthy, I will not be fit, I have to push play. Without it, on my own, I'm not going to stay energetic, healthy, Or fit, brushing your teeth is a discipline. Without that discipline, your teeth on their own are not going to stay healthy and plaque-free and cavity-free and all that stuff. So we may not be aware of it, but we are already experiencing disciplines every day. Natural disciplines. We perform acts, setting the alarm, pushing play on the workout video, brushing our teeth. We We perform acts that result in further abilities that we would not otherwise have. We perform acts that result in activities that we otherwise would not have, or abilities that we would not otherwise have. The same is true for spiritual disciplines. As I decide to train, as I decide to undertake these activities that will make me capable of receiving more of God's life and power, I become able to actually bless those who curse me. I can do it because I've been training. Because I've made myself, I've positioned myself where I've got more of God's life, more of the Holy Spirit. I'm I'm aware of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of the living God is in me, empowering me. i become able to pray without ceasing. I become able to be at peace when not giving giving credit for the good deeds that I have done. I become able to master the evil that comes my way. I become able to resist temptation because I have been training. My disciplinary activities have inwardly poised me for more interaction with God, with the spirit of the living God. They've positioned me for more interaction with the kingdom of God. This is the potential that we tap into when we decide we're going to train like Jesus. There's lots of books out there in spiritual disciplines. I can't go through it all. We're going to do a series later in the year. But if you want now to understand spiritual disciplines, check out the New Song Students podcast. Pastor Jackson just did an amazing series on spiritual disciplines. So start there. We're going to practice the way of Jesus this year. Enjoy being with Jesus. Apprentice under Jesus and walk like Jesus walked. If you would stand to your feet. I know it's a lot, guys. (laughs) I know it's a lot. And I'm okay with it being a lot. Because I think a big problem in the Big C Church is that pastors and leaders don't want to admit that following Jesus is a lot. They want to make it as convenient as possible. Say the prayer, read a book, join the church, try not to sin too much, and you're golden. But that's not the message. Convenience is not the message that Jesus preached. The message that Jesus preached was all-consuming. It was love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your intellect, with all of your strength, with all of your being. It was seek first the kingdom of God. This is the message of Jesus. I know it's a lot, but it's light. It's also light. Jesus said, my burden is light. It's so much lighter than the burden that the world offers you. It's so much easier than going at it without to trying to do life any other way. That's right. Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. It's a lot, but it's easier than what the world has to offer you. It's lighter than what the world has to offer you. I just want you to take this time as we close tonight. I'm going to invite our altar ministry team down. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.